This episode of the Out of Bounds Podcast is sponsored by Fisher Skis, and you can visit them at www.fishersports.com. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Adam Jabber, and this is the Out of Bounds Podcast. And today we have Mallory Duncan on the show. Mallory's that dude. I really enjoyed this conversation, as I always say, but this one was special. I, I love to be able to just chat with people, and that's what this was. We talked about what it's like being a sales rep and an athlete for the brands that you work with, what it's like making your own film for the first time. Uh, the Black Country Journal will be out uh, this fall. You'll start to see it. It is at some uh, film festivals this summer, but it's a must-watch. It's it's unique. It's artsy, and I, I'm a huge fan. So check that out when it comes out and enjoy the conversation with Mallory Duncan. Before we get into the episode... Really appreciate everybody ordering a bunch of those Pamplemousse straps that we made um, in collaboration with Volet. There might be one or two left on the site. Uh, we added some more back in, but it's rad. Those things are awesome. I'm really happy to do a collaboration with a company like Volet. Uh, so those are rad. We have the new gear guide coming out this fall, so keep in mind that that is available soon. Um, and then we also have... All kinds of new stuff coming out on the YouTube from tutorials to gear reviews and some fun stuff as well from some of the trips that we get to go on. So check that stuff out and uh, yeah, a couple things. Oh yeah, I said a couple things before we start already. I like I always do this. I'm like a couple things. Also a couple more things. Also a couple more things. Fisher Skis is a sponsor of the Out of Bounds podcast. You probably already know this. They are my they're my go-to. Uh, we work with a lot of different ski brands when it comes to doing reviews, but there's only one ski brand that we work with as a partner. Uh, and it's been that way for four years. They've been our longest standing partner, I think, uh, if not one of. It's uh, it's incredible to see how much the product has progressed. There's a brand new Transalp series coming out in the fall that is a must-have, as well as some new BOA boots that... Uh, I mean, it's the best boa boot that's out. And I'm not just saying that because I'm biased. I'm saying that because it genuinely is the best fitting boa boot that is going to exist next year. Especially if you're looking for performance, they have that one that comes with a stock zip fit liner for the first time. So be sure to check that stuff out and keep an eye out for the new Night Ranger that is yet to be released. But I'm telling you here and here only, Night Ranger will be available this fall. And now, before we... Go, go. One more time. Thank you to Mallory Duncan. Thank you to everyone who listens to the show. I really appreciate it, as always. And without further ado, here's my friend and yours, Mallory Duncan. Mallory, tell people who you are, a little bit about yourself, and let's roll from there. All right. Um, yeah, my name is Mallory. Mallory Duncan. Uh, and I'm a sales rep. I'm a sponsored skier. And as of recently, kind of doing some films as well on the side. But um, awesome, yeah. I've been kind of in this the ski world for the last, <clears throat> I guess, like since 2018 on the sales the sales side of things. So that's been that's been a really uh, my main entry into the, I guess the outdoor industry as of as of recently. Okay, cool. Let me start you off with maybe a little bit of a heater here. Number one thing that retailers do that bothers the shit out of you. Yeah, you're right. Jumping right into it. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hit that one first because there is some like there's definitely things that every retailer does 
intentionally or unintentionally to bother the shit out of people. You don't have to pick on any individuals, but there's there's always things that bother sales reps, I feel like. Okay, fair. Um, I think the number one thing would probably be... I mean, I think, first off, I just want to say, as a sales rep, the thing that happens all the time, <laughs> and it's just part of the job, is getting just ignored you know you'll shoot like yeah just getting ghosted yeah just absolutely ghosted so that would be like the thing i deal with the most frequently but i've gotten pretty used to it because that's just part of the job so other than that yeah i would say um it's kind of a tough one trying to think about like what's an acceptable thing to be frustrated about (laughs) (laughs) and not get yelled at by people (laughs) Yeah, yeah exactly i like, I can tell you the thing that I do that pisses people off all the time is I like say I'm going to submit an order and I submit it, you know, a hundred days after the deadline and still expect to get the same discount and still expect to get like the selection that I want and, and all that shit. Like I do it to people all the time. Like, yeah, I'll get it to you tomorrow. And then tomorrow's four months. Exactly. Later. That's true. I think like, especially when I, I, that is a good one. And I think like when I hit up people, um, about a lot of the brands that work a little bit smaller. So when I hit them up and I'm like, Hey, this is a really cool brand. You guys should check it out. And they don't, they don't carry it yet. And they kind of like ignore me or dodge me at the trade show. And then I, I hit them with the reminder a week beforehand, hit them with the reminder the day before, and then hit them with the reminder the day of. And then, yeah, a month later, Hey, uh, here's an order. Like sweet. Um, and they'll be like, ask for this, ask for a discount. And I'm like, yeah, sometimes you give it to them. Kind of pass. You know? Sometimes we don't. Yeah. Most often I, I don't. Yeah, exactly. I got to, put down the hard line at some point you know yeah at some point like you have to it's it's literally the job is to get orders in by a certain point like it's it, it just is what it is how how have trade shows been since you started like they've changed a lot at least for me like especially with covid like everything changed for the way that retailers at least in my perspective look at product like i don't to be perfectly honest with you i really don't give a shit about trade shows anymore like i care for do you go to trade shows? Like I'll go. Do you go to all of them? I do. I do. Well, I go to a lot of them. Like especially regionally, like it's easy to just like pop up and go. So I end up going. This year I actually only went to one. I went to the Providence show and that was the only one I went to. And I I've just stopped making appointments. Like I don't make appointments anymore. I just show up, which I'm sure is another infuriating <laughs> thing for reps, but like I just walk around, I look at product and like I just do a little chat, but I'm finding it I'm finding that the way that sales reps sell to retailers is different now too, because there's a lot more focus on like the individual shop. And and again, this is one person's perspective, but it seems like post COVID it's like, there's a lot more opportunity to go and like have a shop day, ski some skis, have a, you know, come meet a rep at their office or like shit like that. Like, I feel like that has happened a lot more now and me setting up like, cause I don't know, 10 years ago I was, I literally would have, you know, 10 appointments a day for three days straight at these things. And I would feel like half the time an hour long meeting could have been five minutes, you know, like it's just like, it's pretty easy at least at this point to tell what's going to work, what the game plan is, like what, how stuff lines up without going into like the technical detail of every single product. Like I can do a lot of that on my own. Absolutely. I mean, I feel like the purpose of trade shows really isn't for me, I think, and I think for retailers as well, I think a lot of it is just like connecting with the person who sells you that stuff and like having that opportunity to right. 
to like talk over how things are going at the shop, catch up a little bit. And then honestly, the most important experiences that I feel like I've had at trade shows are after hours, you know, once things shut down around yeah. like five o'clock and you, you know, maybe you go grab dinner or maybe you like go out and get some drinks. Like those are kind of the, the really important things that I think happen. But, um, there was definitely a weird time in there, you know, during COVID when, when, uh, like 20, you know, 2020 when we were just doing like zoom, zoom, um, yeah. showings. And I don't know how, yeah. how meaningful or, or like effective that was for you, but I felt like it wasn't that effective or helpful, you know? It was fucking useless. And I think it, like there was no, I think it helped us realize that work. we don't even really need to do that. And so I feel like since then less people have been going to trade shows and um i agree I, I think like going to a shop and doing an event with the shop is way more effective and meaningful than sitting down behind a table and walking you through that line you know during yeah. that three time three days during the you know the season yeah yeah and i feel like what i expect out of a sales rep is different now like i don't before it was like show up get early buy discounts see the product for the very first time. And now there's like, I don't know, there's assholes like me that are leaking product like three weeks before they're supposed to. And like stuff like that, that happens all the time where I've seen the product. So now I'm like, I'm expecting to see reps in the shop more, I think, and kind of making a personal connection with like the staff and making sure everybody actually understands the gear. And if, if that doesn't happen, I feel like for me at least i i just don't care like that brand ends up being like on my back burner and obviously there's ones that you don't really see that you need as a shop like they're core pieces that you have to buy no matter what mm -hmm. but i think for the most part it's like we a lot of the buys that we do are bigger or smaller based on our relationship with the rep yep absolutely um and like on that note about like visiting shops and whatnot that's that's one thing that sometimes that, I'm going to jump back to your first question and say, sometimes I'll organize these clinic loops, these big clinic loops where I'm coming through Montana, Idaho, Washington, and like back down through Oregon. And um, I'll like reach out to these shops about setting up clinics. And, you know, it's busy time of year. Maybe I don't hear back from the from the shop or whatever, but that thing doesn't happen because they can't help me, help me line it up with them or they don't get back to me in time or whatever it is. And then when they don't do well with the brand, I'm like, well, I was like trying so hard to get in there and now this isn't selling well. And I think yeah. like that's that's probably something that pisses me off sometimes. Yeah. And you think it makes a big difference? Like, and obviously I do too, but you think it makes a big difference when a rep goes in and like kind of connects with the team at a shop? I think it's not even necessarily about like conveying information or sharing information with the like sales department or the, uh, you know, the sales associates. I think it's more about... Um, having that personal connection like you were talking about with the rep yeah, or with that brand really is what it's about. You know, you have that person and that represent that person represents the brand. And if you have yeah. a tight connection with that person, you're going to sell more of that product. And then of course there's always yeah. like a caveat where, um, if you sell, if you're carrying whatever, the Patagonia micro puff, you're going to sell that regardless. People are going to come in and grab it, you know, just cause it is what it right. is. But especially for smaller brands like I work for, I think that's what it really comes down to is having a relationship with the person and the brand. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think it, it, the amount of times that I've seen a sales rep come in and like give somebody a hat and it makes their day. And then the next month all they're selling is like 
Liberty or whatever. And I'm just like, like, how, how did this happen? Like, how are this many people coming into buy Liberty? And they're not, it's the person that's on the floor is like, fired up, feels a connection to that brand now and is all excited and feels like they've put a face to the brand and they want to like help that brand do well. Yeah. How many hats do you have at this point? Like 400? Oh, dude, me personally, I don't want a fucking <laughs> yeah, hat. Like, I'm good on hats. Like, I don't want anything. Don't give me a sweatshirt. Don't give me a t-shirt. Don't give me a... My favorite bit that reps do is, like, they'll come in and they'll give everybody hats, and then they think they need to, like, bribe me, and bribing me to them is, like, giving me a hoodie when they gave everybody else hats, and I'm like... This is not like this is not bribery anymore. All you're doing is like filling my closet and, you know, making my girlfriend put more shit in a bag to like give away. Like, it's just like that's all like because I don't know, like I'll go through my closet. And I'm like, there's 500 brand T-shirts and I do not like this is not a thing I wanted. It's a way to so, like, just move it on so to somebody true. else. I was I even worked in a shop for like so before I started rapping, I was working in a shop here in Bend called Crow's Feet. And um, I like. I remember right when I first started working there, I was that like young and exuberant uh, kid on the floor. And the first time a rep came in and gave me a hat, I was just like so fired up. I was like, yeah, like, I'm wearing For this sure. hat every day, sure. man. <laughs> you know? yeah. And then you yeah. get your like 50th hat. And at this point, like I actually had, I just got some hats recently and I gave them, I like left them at the hotel, I'll be honest with you. I just straight up left them. I was like, I'm not yeah, bringing yeah. this hat home with me. <laughs> <laughs> Someone else can like, it's just, Yes. Yeah, it's just how it is. It's it's funny because that first time for someone makes a huge difference, but like second, third, fourth time, it's like, all right, we need to do something a little more creative. And I'm telling you, like the creative swag from brands, like that shit is cool. That like I think thinking about the swag because it's so easy to just print a label on a T-shirt and give it to somebody, yeah. you know. And it's not there's not a lot of meaning I think after that first time for people when it comes to that but well let me ask you this i, I don't know it's, what's the most creative piece of swag that you've gotten from a brand that you were like fired up on so there was a couple years ago i forget what rep it was but someone brought us all like vintage hats like old hats that they had found in the warehouse and i thought that that was really nice. cool like because it's shit that you wouldn't be able to just go buy somewhere or like you wouldn't find normally at a rep clinic i think that's that was really cool somebody came like with like Kershaw knives for everybody one year and like with that brand, like it doesn't have to be expensive. Like that's an extreme example. Like if you're going to give out a couple hundred knives or whatever, but I think it's, it's cool when there's some thought behind it at least instead of just like throwing a logo on something like there's it, everybody, like every brand has a million athletes, like getting something that like aligns with another athlete's brand, like some kind of collab stuff. We got like, skeeta masks from people a little while ago and like that was that was rad like everybody appreciated everybody uses it i think it's just it's just being a little more thoughtful about this stuff so it's not waste you know like i think that's the that's the biggest thing for me yeah totally someone uh actually <clears throat> recently i was having a conversation i think it was actually yesterday about just this exact thing swag and they brought up a really good point and about how you know Brands always are trying to talk about, or at least a lot of brands talk about sustainability and, you know, um, not producing yeah. waste or at least like recycling things. And swag is one of those things that so many events that happen, everyone has swag, but it would be a pretty sick move, honestly, for brands to just not do that. Cause that's where you can really eliminate yeah. a lot of waste is just not making like, how many koozies do you really need? How many shirts or sweatshirts Dude. or like hoodie or, you know, hoodies or hats do you really it's need? Too much. And like, it's too much. If you were to look at all of it together, it would be a ridiculous amount of shit that's just being probably, you know, not used and thrown away. Yeah. 
I must have given away like a hundred koozies the other day. It's just like it's just the stack, especially if something like that that's a completely useless fucking yeah. item. Like I don't think that that makes any sense. I think there's companies too that have done it well. Like Nordica's done a thing where you basically just go in and you plug in like a little code and you get to go shopping. You get like a, fifty points or whatever, and fifty points can buy you anything on this list, right? I, I think that that's a creative yeah. way to do it because that means somebody wanted to go get it. You know, they actually like wanted to put in a little bit of effort to go get the thing. And I think that's when it becomes valuable to somebody. But just handing people a bucket of shit is like, I don't know. I think it's tap. Yeah, no doubt. And if you have something in front of you and someone's giving you, if someone's giving you a box, like, hey, grab something, like, usually you're going to grab it. But if you actually have to go through the effort of buying something online, yeah, you're going to actually want that thing. I like that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's, it seems to work well what let's kind of switch gears a little bit you're one of the few sales reps that i'm aware of that does all this other stuff you're a writer now you're a film produced like you've got this film that's out now like what how do you manage we'll get into the film in a minute but like how do you manage doing all these different things and wearing these different hats when like a lot of times you're talking to the same people when you're trying to promote things, you're working with some of the same brands on your projects that you rep for. Like, what does that, what does that balance look like for you? Like, how do you go, okay, I need funding for this project, but also I'm your sales rep. Like, but also I have to do like that. That's the thing that I've, I've been curious about since I've been watching your stuff. Yeah. It's interesting. It's been a learning process. That's for sure. And, um, it has evolved throughout that process because with most of the brands I work with as a rep, strangely enough, I started working with them initially as a, as like an athlete for their team or like an ambassador for their, for mm. their brand. And, um, but prior to, to all of this, independently, I was a sales rep. Like I was a contracted sales rep for an agency here in Bend. And so I was working with like Dina Fit, Rab, Julbo under this agency title. And so I always was like interacting with these brands but I was kind of like the sub rep, I guess is what they would call it, or assistant rep, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, tech rep. Tech rep. There we go. Um, yeah, I've, I don't know. Like everyone uses different terms. I heard like some some yeah, terms exactly. aren't cool. I don't know, man. <laughs> but um, initially, yeah, I was I was like a, a tech rep for a larger agency, and so that's kind of where I got my foot in the door, just on the repping side of things. And then I it was kind of interesting. I stopped doing that during uh the pandemic because you know stores were stores were closed um you know same reason everyone else lost their job basically and yeah then i was like freed up i had all this time to think about what i wanted to do and i had a conversation with actually um uh corinne Prevo, who lives in yeah yeah, yeah are you in burlington or where are you at by the way this is a total side note. i'm in western mass okay. i'm in western mass but i'm up that way You're all up the time there yeah i know corinne yeah. Yeah. Okay. So had a conversation with her and it was the first time I ever talked to somebody on the brand side, really, who wasn't directly really related to a brand that I was working for. Like, so that was really interesting to get that perspective because the people on the brand side are always going to be like, you know, they they have reps. And so they're like organizing their sales program, their whole sales program with reps and considerations. They're talking to you about like, how you're selling, what you're doing, what the expectations are in relation to that. Whereas Skeeta is, they only have like one rep group, I think, in the Pacific Northwest. And Corinne was kind of mentioning like, hey, I don't really feel like 
most sales reps do a whole lot. Like, I don't really know how it benefits our business. And so it kind of made me start to think about it a little bit differently of, you know, how do I, how do I bring more to the table? And so then I was just like, cool, I'm going to, I mean, I'm, I've been a skier my whole life. I've, I've been skiing at like a pretty, I guess, high level, I would say, even when I was repping. And so I, and then at the same time, a lot of brands were, um, a lot of brands were like trying to work with people of color. And as a black skier, I was like, well, I'm kind of just chilling here. Like I'm skiing with, <laughs> I'm skiing with like other pro skiers all the time. Like, why don't I just kind of get into this? Especially now I don't have a jog. Let's start skiing. Like, and I'll get some free, free yeah. gear out of it. So it kind of like, that's kind of where it all started initially. Um, and then as a, having that rep skill, I was able to kind of like offer something to these brands beyond just being a sales rep or just beyond just being an athlete. Cause I mean, being an athlete's great, but um, I think you have more longevity if you can actually be involved with these companies on a deeper level versus being like a disposable yeah. person. And me yeah. personally, I was in this moment where it's like, Oh, everyone's all fired up on like, you know, people of color being athletes. This could like, who knows, this might be different. Like one year from now, this might be different two years from now. So like, yeah. let me demonstrate my value beyond just myself as an athlete. Cause that's how I'm really going to make this thing have legs. And so that's kind of how it all started. Um, as far as like balancing things out, it kind of goes hand in hand a lot of the time. I feel like, you know, you have these relationships mm. with the brands and that is it then deepened by the fact that you're also working with them as an athlete. And so then when it comes to asking mm. for money, I think on one side of it, it's, it's easier just because you're already bringing them a lot of value. And so they're like, cool this person's rad, you know, they're helping us sell stuff and they're promoting the brand. Like, sure. If we're going to throw someone money, let's throw it to this person. On the flip side though, I feel like it's challenging because sometimes I have to like pick and choose what it is I'm asking for. If that makes sense, you know? Yeah. Like I might be like, can we get deeper discounts or whatever for, for shops on this type of program? And then when I ask, when I'm there asking for like money to sponsor a project, it's like, oh well, I just asked for like this other thing on the sales repping side. So now maybe I yeah, it's hard to separate. Yeah, so now I feel weird about asking for more money to like do this video project yeah. that I'm working on, you know. So it's kind of weird yeah. that way. Can I let me ask you? You mentioned like everybody wanting to sponsor like athletes of color, and everybody was so so hot on it. For, especially during the pandemic, like that became like a focus very blatantly for brands like that they were trying to do. And I think it's great. My, my question is, I guess you said like, okay, maybe this is just going to stop or maybe this like, let me get in there while it's hot. Like what do you think it's going to stop? Do you think there's a reason for it to stop? I, I, I guess I, I don't think it's disingenuous from brands, but I do think it's like they saw the writing on the wall and they were like, okay, now's a good time for us to like involve more people of color and actually pay attention to this. Does it feel like, did it ever feel disingenuous to you? Like, cause I'm, I don't know, I'm salty and I look at things negatively sometimes and I'm like, oh yeah, now people give yeah. a shit. You know what I mean? Like, but at the same time, I'm fully aware that it's a really good opportunity for people. And I just, I, I'm wondering how you feel about that. Yeah. That's a good question. Um, and a complex question too that i kind of like yeah for sure about, for sure know, and try and negotiate what I, how i feel about it but i think like to answer the part about in being ingenuous or disingenuous i think i think that what what happened was a lot of brands are being held 
held accountable. Like a lot of people stood up and were like, yo, you guys got to like include more people in this thing. Like this needs to be a more inclusive sport and like look at everyone around us. You know, why is everyone here just like a white dude doing this thing? And so I felt like brands on some level, regardless, like if they actually wanted that to happen or not, the community was forcing it to happen. So I think the answer is different yeah. from brand to brand. I think some brands legitimately were already making moves in that direction and like just continued to do it. I think some brands got a wake up call and realized how important it was and went to do it. And I think some brands were like, all right, well, like, I guess we got to like bring on this like token black <laughs> dude to be like part of our brand. So, yeah. but for yeah. me specifically, like all the brands that I work with um, as an athlete, I'm like, I have a great relationship with them. And like, I truly believe that, um, first off, they see me in the value, see me as an asset to the team, just as an athlete, you know, apart from being, you know, a black person, like, I think they see that value, but then also are in support of the things that I'm doing and also trying to like create a more inclusive, you know, ski industry, I guess, or snow industry. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think a lot of it and now like it's settled a little bit and I'm like, OK, I, I actually think that it's good that that change was forced to happen. It's not always like you prefer it to just happen that way, <clears throat> right? Like it to just be that way from the beginning. But it wasn't. And I think some like people speaking up and talking about it had to happen in order for a lot of brands to get a wake up call and realize like, OK, like this is this is an issue that like I've used this analogy before, but it's like you know, the shop owner that walks past, you know, the pile of trash in the corner a thousand times and doesn't see it or doesn't notice it. And the first customer in the door sees it right away. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it's, it's not a thing that brands that some brands even realized was a problem until someone said something. And I think there's a lot of that. And I guess it was, it was kind of a weird conversation when it was getting brought up a lot because there was plenty of like, plenty of idiots in the comments that were just like, okay, well, no one's preventing people of color to be involved in the sport. And I'm like, that's not the right. That's, <laughs> like, that's not a fucking thing. <laughs> yeah. I think like, like you said, I mean, first off, it has cooled off a lot. And I think um, for me, when like everything was really popping off, honestly, like I live in Bend. And so I'm one of like the few black folks in Bend. And so when things were popping off and there was a lot of people like around me who were marching and a lot of, a lot was happening it felt very, I was very confused because I didn't necessarily want to like be out there on the streets marching with like in this community to be real, to be honest. And so that was a little bit, um, a little bit strange for me and and made me question people's motives or or whatever. But honestly, now that things have like chilled out a little bit and there's just a little bit more like, I mean, I think it's really, um, issues around race are like super important. And I think that there are these like extreme situations that happen that force change. Um, But I think like as one of the few people who's existing in this world, it can be really intense when people are like reaching out to you for answers about all this stuff. And you're kind of like processing all at the same time too. So it's actually, it's kind of weird for me to say this, but it's actually, I prefer for us to be able to understand what's happening and be able to address it. And being in a position to address yeah. it, but not have it be like the <clears throat> just this intense rallying that's happening in this in the snow sports world. You know, I think it makes it a little bit more almost like um, 
yeah, a little bit more bearable in, in some ways for me to not feel like I'm like spotlighted in that way. That makes sense. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent. Like, I think it's, it's weird to go to like the one black person that you know and be like, give me all the Dude, answers. All the time. Like that's a, that's such a ridiculous thing that people do. And I'm just like, why are people doing this to other people? It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Like if people came up to me and were like, you're the only Arab guy I know, give me all the answers. Like, and people have before, I'm like, like, I don't know, dude. Like, Dog, I don't fucking know. Like it differs from like literally like 10 feet away from me. It's totally different than what I think. Like everybody's got exactly. opinions. Everybody knows how they feel in their own personal experiences. Like it's not fair to go to the one person of color that you know and be like, I'm here with you. I'm standing. It's like, Doug, you were my friend before. You're my friend now. You don't have to fucking tell yeah. me this. Yeah, for sure. And like, honestly, if you are going to that person, like this little PSA for everyone. If you are going to that person uh, <laughs> of color, that one person of color that you know, and you're asking them to like give you the answers for everyone who is part of their like ethnic group, like that's not like first off, like really that <laughs> chill, man. Like, you, that's like you're, that's you're not kind cool. of like uh generalizing a large group of people with your relationship with one person you know and so it, you're literally doing the opposite just like a nicer version i guess or like the friendly version of the other thing like it's not a fucking you're literally just putting people into one box because of the color of their skin again just in a different yeah, way and it's uncomfortable for me i'm just like dude i don't, I don't know man like i don't know like, <laughs> but like that said you know I do like really enjoy talking about race with people and like how it plays into the yeah. outdoor industry, how it plays in my life. They're like, cause I think it's, it is like ultimately part of our uh, social dynamic here in this country. So, you know, For if sure. you can have those conversations like, and it's, and it's done in a way that feels like comfortable, like I'm all about it. Yeah. I think the conversations are important to have. I just don't think like using the one person, you know, as like your beacon of light for an entire race yeah. is like not, not cool at all. I think having the conversation about personal experiences is, is actually really important, but there's like, there is a line there and I, I don't know how to like explain the line to people, but there, there is definitely something there. hundred percent. Um, let's talk about what kind of shift gears here. Let's talk about the black country journal, what it is, what the idea was, how this whole thing came about. Why don't we kind of start there? Yeah. So, <clears throat> I, um, basically, you know, as a sales, it, it really, it's, it's strange. Cause it really did come from being a sales rep, which is super weird thing to say. Cause like, that's not something that you should be doing right as a sales rep. But <laughs> I was, I was kind of in this world where I was trying to figure out how to do, add more value to my, to my position, I guess. Mm. And part of being an ambassador and being a sales rep is that I can bring more value to the brand, right? I can help like grow local. It's like kind of like local marketing essentially. And so mm -hmm. through doing that, you know, you're creating content and as you continue to like dive deeper and deeper into that, you get closer to like producing actual, whether it's a short film or like uh, a whole legit film with, you know, I mean, MSP makes big old films or whatever, but you know, you start to kind of create content as an ambassador. And so, I got really interested in that world and just like, how do I capture these, these adventures that were going on? I do a lot of backcountry skiing. And so trying to capture that stuff out there and put it out to the world was kind of, I guess the most uh, basic form of, of making a small, a film. But what happened was, is I essentially like wrote this poem 
I wrote this poem and it was during the pandemic and it was about exactly what we were just talking about, kind of feeling like uncomfortable. And, and that poem kind of turned into a whole idea about, um, or like, hold on, let me jump back one second. So the poem, yeah, yeah. the poem was about feeling uncomfortable. And then I went on this big trip. And through that process, I met this new group of uh, snowboarders who were kind of like laid out skiing in a way that I hadn't thought about it before, basically. You know, I came from a ski racing background. And so ski racing, I don't know if, um, did you ever ski race? Mm -mm. So for anyone out there who has, I mean, it's a very uh, structured thing, right? You know, you're wearing your speed suit, Mm -hmm. you're going through gates. And a lot of people I know who I grew up ski racing with, you know, a huge percentage of them don't even ski anymore because it kind of like sucks the soul out of you, right? And so I personally like have kind of not really done any competitions since that whole experience. But through riding with these snowboarders, they helped me look at skiing as kind of like this form of like almost creative expression, right? You know, I think it's a story Mm -hmm. that's been told before, you know, making a, making a turn down the mountain is like, you know, making a uh, piece of art, whether it's like, whether you associate that with like painting a picture or like doing a dance. For me, it was, um, I started thinking about it like improvisation and like improvisational jazz specifically. Um, And so that is kind of the idea behind the film is connecting this element jazz, which is, you know, a black art form and connecting it with this very white activity that I do, which is skiing. And for me, (laughs) it helped me find like this passion and inspiration in the art of just making a turn that I never had before. And so that's Mm. what the film's about really. And all the other thing I talked about before that is kind of like what, what I guess started it. Um, But yeah, that's kind of the idea behind the film. And I just want, I thought it was something that other people maybe who, um, have felt uninspired by skiing or other, other, um, people who are like jazz fans would like really, uh, relate with that. So I wanted to put that out in the world and see what they thought. But the last piece of it that I'm going to throw out there is I feel like ski movies have really been being made the same for the last, like really specifically for the last, I don't know, 20 years. A lot of, a lot of the films have been very, very similar, you know? Mm. Um, there's not, a lot of creativity happening out there and um a lot of the you know the formula for making a ski movie is like interview somebody they're gonna talk about their homie who's really dope and then you're gonna see clips of their homie who's like skiing and like ripping it up or whatever yeah. you know like that's yeah that's what it is um there's no like really deeper storyline all the time and i don't want to generalize because i know there's some really really cool um films sure. out there for sure but like generally the ones that are getting the most eyes are the same ski movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's easy to just basically copy and paste that same formula. Like I can think of two in like the last 15 years that I've actually like remembered as being like creative, like well-made ski movies that were like full length ski films. Cause there's been a lot of like, it's funny. The smaller ones always end up being the ones that are the most intentional and thoughtful. For sure. And the ones that like have the big spends behind them are just like 
marketed for big pow turns and skiing spines and all that shit's cool but like there's ways like claim is a, an example for me that i was like okay this is it's funny yeah, it's quirky and there's rad skiing in it like and i remember that always and then nothing like when parker did nothing i was like okay this is a different take showing like him doing different shit and just making it like as simple as it could be i really like that but i think that's part of the reason you're seeing a lot of these film companies start to fold over or take like the Warren Miller approach where they're just going to mail it in for the next 75 years. I, I just don't know. I, I don't know how that changes and I don't know if it will change, right? Like you, we've already lost level one is done for the most part. Like they're making films obviously still yeah, they're like they're a doing an annual anymore. Hour. Yeah, exactly. And like, that's cool, but it's just different. Um, Warren Miller is dead. I guess there's something going on like with it. MSP is <laughs> there's there's something going on with it. I shouldn't be mean. Like, there's something going on in the fall. Yeah. Like, but I I don't know. Like the way that they put it out initially was like, okay, we're cleaning house and we're basically just gonna make this like Sun Valley ski film and like it, it's just gonna be a compilation of old clips. But I'm sure it'll be good. I'm gonna watch it. Like I'm just I'm curious to hear your take on like what needs to be different in those bigger films because I think a lot of them can take notes from what you're doing and kind of put more inspiration into these things. Like they have these big budgets, they have the best athletes in the world. Like stories aren't being told the same yeah, way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it'll be interesting too. Recent, it'll be interesting like really in the near future because I mean, uh, Scott Gaffney just like kind of left MSP. So like that's probably going to force yeah. them to switch up their program. And um, I mean, that dude's an absolute legend and yeah. I'm sure that he would be, I'm sure part of the reason that he left is because he wanted to do stuff that was more creative and it was just doing the same thing every, you know, year after year. I'm sure. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think like, it'll be interesting to see what happens with MSP with having a lot of Scott Gaffney and how they're going to readjust and shift up their films. Maybe they won't do anything different. It seems like they're not to yeah. be honest, but it seems like they're going to yeah, do the same it thing. But... but I think like, basically there's kind of some deeper stories that can be told. And I, I think, like, more importantly, I would love to see people showing, like, something, almost like taking inspiration from the cinema world, right? And my idea, ideal ski film is something that, like, I could watch and not be involved in skiing and still would be like, yo, this is super, super cool and I can relate with this. Yeah. Um, and then also, obviously, hold up on the skiing side, too. You know, see someone doing something really cool that as a skier, you're going to be like, yo, this is really, really cool. And this person's a very creative skier. And so I guess what I want to see films do more is tell, like have an actual narrative um, mm -hmm. and like bring a little bit more like artistic of an artistic element to the way that they're telling the film or telling the story versus just uh, going to Alaska, flying people in helicopters and getting cool shots and then having them interview. Yeah. And that's what it seems like is happening a lot. Um, and that's, you know, that's what has been, I guess, successful for the last, uh, you know, however many years. But um, yeah. I think like we all get a lot of cool clips through I through Instagram. You know, we see people doing the dopest stuff on our phone. Right. And so a ski film now like needs to serve <laughs> a different purpose. It needs to scratch a different itch because that itch is already getting scratched by by yeah. Instagram. Like, let me uh, engage in something a little bit more interesting and and, and engaging. And like I said, some people are doing that really well. Um, 
and some people are just doing the same shit they've been doing. So I'm more on the side of yeah. let's do something different. And that's why my film, which isn't out yet, is kind of weird. But, um, you know, it's it's like a, I would say it's like a film that involves skiing, but isn't a ski film. If I were to, if I were to yeah. Um, yeah, explain. I really enjoyed it. And I agree with you. I, I think it's like you can watch it. It is exactly what you said. It's like one of those things that you don't necessarily have to be a skier to watch it and enjoy it. I think that's a huge it's a huge win right like you think about the stuff that's doing really well and the people that are doing films really well right now it's like there's individuals are kind of taking their own like their creative into their own hands now and they're like okay like i want to i want to produce these things i need to get a team together i need to get my partners to support it and i need to make this vision a reality and i don't need a production team to do it like i think i use nikolai as a example all the time but like wavy one wavy two it's like the the way that he is able to like tell stories along the way and never mind that he's like editing it and like filming parts of it and shooting photos like it that's a different level obviously but i think that mixes in like i've showed it to friends that don't ski at all have no interest in skiing and it's a fully watchable film and i think that's that's where the bar is kind of going to be raised i think in hopefully in in years to come because people are going to be expecting more. Yeah. And I feel like the coolest, one of the coolest things that uh, he's doing and why I really, really enjoy his films is because, you know, he's going out there and shooting a lot of it himself. And that's yeah. kind of the hardest part about filming purely like human powered backcountry um, skiing is finding somebody in a, who can go out there with you and get those shots. I mean, that's been a really big struggle for me. And I know like other pro skiers who I've talked to, like that's finding the, the filmer who can go out there and get those shots is really challenging. And when you can get that, um, especially when there's these like really massive approaches or like these human powered endeavors that are kind of expedition style, when you can get that, it makes for a super interesting experience to watch um, because there's more of a storyline about that adventure versus like, you know, um, you know, a heli trip is not like an adventure necessarily. It's more of just like, we're dropping on top of a mountain and you go ski a sick line. <laughs> It's not like yeah. you're hiking all the way out there and then like enduring the cold. And, and there's a, a lot of a storyline behind it more when you're actually human powering it. So, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I, I think there's a lot more that can kind of be told in a different way. Like I get it. You ski to sick Kular, like that's, that's fucking dope. But like you said, like we can see that on Instagram in 13 seconds and then it's over with. Like, I don't, I don't know if that has the same pull. I'm saying this like, fully aware that tgr is going to sell out like yeah, 100 sure. shows next year showing the same movie they've had for the last five years you know like i'm i'm fully aware that what i'm saying is like not currently entirely accurate like i don't think it matters all that much it just matters to me you know yeah and i think at the end of the day like there's always going to be a space for that type of film um for and, sure yeah you can't yeah kill and it. i think like also with stuff i'm doing some people are going to watch it and they're going to be like what the hell did I just watch, man? Like, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> and um, that's cool too. But I hope that by making that something that's way out there, it'll inspire at least other filmmakers to make something that maybe falls somewhere in the middle in between the two. So maybe by going to that extreme, like being like kind of, yeah, doing that to that level, um, it'll inspire people to kind of land, land in the middle or something like that. Or, or maybe they'll get like a, a vision or an idea that comes from that. That is like a stray yeah. away from the traditional ski film, you know? 
Yeah. I think it's starting to pick up steam. I think it's going to happen. Like there, there's definitely stuff in the last couple of years that have kind of taken a different approach to what a ski film is. Like I think uh, Katie Burrell is a good example, right? Like it's a ski Dude. film. It's but it's not a ski. Yeah. Film. It's like but she got to put her own spin, her own personality into it, and that's like Dream Job is what made Katie who like as far as like social relevance goes. It's what made her who she yeah. is now, right? She's always been the same person, but like it's. It's really funny to see that, like stuff like this actually works, and companies buy into it, and it and people actually give a shit if it's done. Yeah, well. man, she's got like that's exactly the type of stuff that I'm talking about because it's it's like a um, almost like Dumber and Dumber in a way where like there's like a storyline, yeah. there's like a whole it's like a whole production, you know, and skiing's part of it, yeah. but it's it's hilarious. You can watch that like if you're not even a skier and you're gonna laugh, right? And that's what, that's what I love yeah. about the stuff that she puts out there in general is it's like, it's really funny. It's relatable. And uh, we're all yeah. just like laughing at ourselves. Yeah. Relatable is like the key word there. It's like people watch her like panting to get to the top and you're like, oh, that was me literally this yeah. morning. You know, like that was me. That was me for the entire season. So I, I think there is a relatability factor that has to, that has to play into it too. hundred percent. And like, I can't be the, I'm not the dude who's just a full disclaimer. Like this shit's all new to me. Right. I'm, I'm yeah. not a, like a filmmaker, <laughs> like a professional filmmaker. I've been doing this for started on this little journey, like two years ago. And I've just kind of been see, looking around and seeing what's happening. And, um, I think I have like, because of that, I have a little bit of a fresh perspective or whatever. And yeah. just like also naturally a very inquisitive person. So I'm just asking a lot of questions for people who are making films and what they're seeing and what, what needs to change and all that type of stuff. But full disclaimer, like I'm just, I, I'm fucking just learning about all this stuff too. So I want to be very clear. <laughs> I want to be very clear about that and not like claim that I got all the answers or anything like that. But um, I'm stoked to bring like just some interesting new ideas. And like I, after making the black country journal, I've already started to get fired up on, on new ideas and specifically about like, I think the Black Country Journal has to do with like this jazz element and it's like black, uh, you know, art and how it relates to skiing. I want to keep going down that road of like, because there's a lot of connections between um, <clears throat> kind of like, or I just, I guess one of the things I want to say, like as, as a black dude in the ski industry, it's like an opportunity is there as well for me, you know? Like I have an totally. opportunity to like, um, kind of at least be an example of what that looks like. And so if I can bring mm. like some creativity to the film world in that way, that can in some ways represent my culture and maybe can inspire other people to from my culture, from black culture to like want to pursue that or like have a connection with that in ways that they didn't have previously. So I think that's kind of a cool, cool element yeah. of it all too. Yeah. Yeah. I, what did you, throughout this whole process, what did you learn that I'm sure you learned a lot of shit, but like, what did you learn that you're like, okay, I want to take this and apply it to the next thing that I do. Um, man, yeah, there's a lot, a lot of things were learned for sure. I think, I think one of the biggest things would probably be, I mean, at the core, um, not knowing i think i think like a big part of it that i learned would have to come down to honestly just communicating with filmmakers like that's a big part of it for me mm. is like communicating a vision to somebody you know 
Mm. Um, and speaking in their language, you know, being able to be like, we need to capture this shot. I mean, that was a big part of it was, I didn't really know a whole lot about camera stuff. You know, I, I, I've shot on a camera, I've taken photos, stuff like that, but I'm coming at it from more of a production direction, director side of things. And so one of the things was just learning how to communicate with like a cinematographer. I mean, that was a big part of it. Um, that's like a pretty obvious one, like a given. I'm trying to think of something that was like maybe a little bit more deep. I think like, I think I just learned a lot about through the black country journal. I think I learned a lot about, um, like myself and my relationship with skiing, honestly. Um, there's mm. a section in there with this dude, this character whose name is Chaz. That's his real name. And he talks about, he's just a musician and he just talks about being a, yeah. a, a drummer. Um, and that's all real life experiences. Like he was telling me things and we were having this dialogue scene that was kind of like improvisational, but those are all real life lived experiences. And some of the shit that he says in that blew my mind mm. in the moment as we were filming it. And so that was like a huge learning experience for me. I'm just like, yo, this dude is just dropping gems on me right now. Like, yeah. and, I, and I, I go back and I like watch the interview that I had with him and it, and he's just like, does not really ski, you know, not involved in that world at all. But the things that he were saying was saying, were speaking to me on a deeper level about skiing, which was very interesting mm. or whatever that's worth. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's funny. Like some of the best things that, I ever think of or do for the brand or like things that are completely unrelated to skiing and then applying them to skiing, like seeing how they connect because like, I don't know, there's not that many new ideas left. Obviously there are some new ideas out yeah. there, but there's just different applications for the same idea. And I think that's when people have been able to get really creative over the past few years, especially where they're like looking at this thing from their own lens like from their own perspective from a conversation that they have and it just like clicks a switch and that though is like when i imagine it's even harder to communicate to someone else like when something clicks in your head communicating that sometimes to somebody else and explaining like what you want to get or how you want it to apply in a film like that's that's got to be extremely difficult yeah it's weird i mean you can it's so much easier to understand something or think you understand something but then when you actually have to try and explain it to somebody else that's when you realize, oh, I actually don't really understand this concept because I can't really put into words what this feeling is or what this thing I need yeah, to capture is. Yeah, can't explain a feeling. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, I mean, that's been such a huge part of it too. And I, I mean, for me, like, it's always centered around writing. So that's always been really helpful. You know, with the with the Black Country Journal, there's two different poems in it that um, basically help guide the whole project. And with the next project we're working on too, it's called What If. It's going to come out like next, uh, probably this this coming spring but that's also like centers around poetry and writing and so like and for me like that's the original form of storytelling right it's like with your words and with like po poems are like these really concise but like these very short but super meaningful things and that's what i want to try mm -hmm. and do with all films just across the board is like make it short make it meaningful and but don't like absolutely spell it out for people. So they have to kind of like really think about it, you know, cause that's the cool thing about a poem, right? Is that you read it like four times and then you kind of start to understand yeah. it after that. What made you start writing poems? Like that's a, I feel like kind of a random thing. Yeah, like weird. you don't hear of many people being like, I, I wrote a poem, but like everybody that does it and does it well, you're like, 
you feel the impact of it almost immediately. Like, and those words kind of stick with you. So how, how did you get into it? Dude, that's hilarious. That's a great question. I didn't even, um, I didn't think I was going to have to answer this question, but it's funny. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because I started writing, uh, poetry kind of after I started writing, um, raps. So I went to no shit up. Yeah. So that's fucking yeah, awesome. Yeah. So, um, first off, like I'm such a traditional dude. Like I am like a black skier and like, that's, you know, and I grew up in like Oakland and all that. But like, when you look at people who are involved in the ski industry and you look at my path, it's actually very similar to a lot of other people. I went to school at UVM four years. Right. Just like every other, every <laughs> other dude who's working in the outdoor industry. Right. I went to UVM and, um, and then I, and now I live in Bend, Oregon, you know, like everyone's on like a yeah. very similar path. Who ends up being in this, yeah. UVM's are are you like out outdoor industry yeah. employees, you know, it's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so when I was at UVM though, I, I, I came there cause of skiing, but then I like, I wasn't skiing a whole lot when I was there. I was actually uh, running track at the time, but I had mm. a lot of this, a lot, a lot of time and I was trying to do something completely different. And so I started, um, and I've always listened to hip hop music, started writing raps. I started, I started making music, started producing music, and um, Galactic Brown was my stage name, right? No Dead shit. Ass serious, yeah. Galactic Brown was my stage name. <laughs> so, fresh. I think it was uh, freshman. After freshman year, I took an internship working for a concert promotion company out in Michigan, and I met this dude named Mr. Marcus, who was a rapper, and he kind of took me under his wing and brought me into this whole like hip hop scene out in, in Michigan. Traverse City, Michigan, which is just like, there's actually a pretty cool little hip hop scene out there. Um, and so I got involved in that. And then I moved back to EVM, started writing raps, was doing that, performing, you know, with a couple different brands um, in Burlington. And then like, uh, got out of that world, but still through the process of writing hip hop, through writing raps and making music, um, I like learned how much I really enjoyed going back and listening to my music. Mm. And then like, you know, because when you make a song, you make the exact song that you want to hear, right? Or to the best of your ability, yeah. at least. And a lot of time, you'll go back and you'll listen to your lyrics and you'll be like, damn, like, I wrote that and I didn't even realize when I wrote that, that it was kind of speaking to this experience I was having at that time. So I'll go back and listen to my songs and it kind of, like, takes me back to that moment and what I was struggling with. It's like a snapshot into your past a little bit. And kind of helps you understand things that are going on in your head a little bit more. So I learned the value of that through writing raps. And then when I stopped writing raps, I started just writing poetry instead because it was, you know, I just wasn't trying to put like hip hop music out there anymore, but I still wanted that value of, of, uh, you know, having that experience. And so I started writing poetry instead, which is essentially just, you know, raps, I guess, without that don't often rhyme as much and don't have a beat behind them. That's really interesting. I would have never, if you give me a hundred guesses, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have. Yeah, it's kind of a little secret story. I haven't really told anybody, a lot of people that, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. It's a big music culture at Forefront, huh? Like Sammy's very into the music scene. Like you are like, that's fucking awesome. Yeah, it's sweet. Yeah. And Nick's dad is like a jazz musician. Um, Is he really? Yep. Yep. Nick's dad's a jazz musician. Sam's a DJ. I'm, I'm, I'm a poet, you know, like we're just a funky little crew out there. That's the edit that we need next year is like nothing. Just put it out on the forefront channel and have nothing to do with skiing <laughs> at all. It's just all of you guys getting just together. doing creative shit together. 
would know, honestly that'd be so that. sick. I would love that. I I would too. I'd I'd buy in a hundred percent. Um what let me ask you this then. What what was showing the film like for the first time, like getting that reaction and like kind of feeling people out when you actually showed it to a group for the very first time? Yeah, man. That's a good question too. Like it's such a process because you go from being really fired up on this vision of this project and then making it and being really excited. And then you kind of start going through the editing process and you're like, what am I doing? Like, this is, I think at a certain point you're like, this is, no one's going to like this. Like, this is going to suck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're just stressed. Yeah. And shit. Like you get imposter. Syndrome. Exactly. And then you get to a point where you're like, okay, like this is actually all right. Like, but we're going to be showing it alongside all these other big projects. Like, man, it's going to be interesting. Hopefully it holds up. So, Going into the film festival that we sh- that we first premiered it at Five Points, um, I was like pretty nervous that people were gonna not vibe with it um, because it is weird, it is out there, and it's very different. But that mm-hmm. ended up being, I think, the thing that really blew people away is that at these film festivals, you're watching forty five films, um, it back to back to back, like day after day. It's like four days, I think, is the whole festival, or, or three days. And a lot of them have that similar kind of um, docu-series kind of or documentary type uh, style to them, which is really cool. And there's some beautiful films, don't get me wrong. But ours was the, I think, one of the few that didn't have like an interview component of it. And mm. so I think like after we showed it to people, we got a lot of love, like so much love from both the, the people who put on the festival. You know, we are in the town of Carbondale for three days and people will come up, come up to us on the street, me and Pat, who's the uh, DP on the whole project. And they'd be like, dude, we love your guys' film. That thing was awesome. Like, I've never seen anything like that before. So it was really cool to go from not really knowing what people's reaction was and thinking maybe it would be negative to getting like such <clears> a positive response. And then the same thing just happened again in Jackson. So like, I'm so, I'm like kind of been blown away by um, people's, and it's a reaffirm what we're talking about that people do want this and they do want something that's a little bit different, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think it, when they see something different for the first time, I think there's always that worry from artists of any kind, whether it's photographers, videographer, like filmmaker, whatever. I think when you do something creative, it's always like, I don't know. Like, I feel like people don't know how to feel and the person creating it gets anxious because they know people aren't going to know how to feel about it. Like at first and, and sometimes it goes really well and people love it at first, but sometimes it takes a little while and like people go back to them and they're like, this was fucking rat. Like more of this needs to happen, you know? So there's, there's all kinds of different because it's creative. People then take a creative stance on how they feel about yeah. things. Yeah, kind of like you kind of open yourself up a little bit more to criticism because it's uh, more of a creative thing or more of a different thing, right? At least, yeah. that's, I don't know. Yeah. When you were making this, like, was it even a, did you even think about like, okay, how, how am I going to be perceived when I put this thing out there? Like, is that a thought that even crossed your mind when you were putting this together? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. And... I think it's it's tough because you want to you want it to hold up as like a ski movie like we were talking about earlier, but also as like an independent film uh, or independently like as just like a film, I guess, um, that people could watch and not be involved yeah. in skiing. So, yeah, putting it out there, it's definitely, um, especially that first poem in it, you know, that talks a bit about my experience during kind of um, during the pandemic and whatnot and the killing of George Floyd, like that one's kind of intense. And so and that's the first thing you get hit with, right, is like that poem. Yeah. And so I was like, man, this 
I could just like turn people off like right out the right out the gate. Um, so yeah, I was a little bit nervous about how that would all shake out, and and then also I think you all, you just have your own apprehensions, just like you were talking about as an athlete too, where you're like, yeah, oh man, I hope like people in the in the ski world will respect this and and see me still as like this is dope skiing, and um, and so yeah, because that that's ultimately a huge part of who I am too is like I want to put good ski stuff out there too for people to like enjoy and you know be inspired by the skiing component of it too so yeah I was a little bit worried a little bit worried for sure (laughs) yeah what do you have advice for people that are like trying to make a project come to life and like trying to make something work out that they really want to see work out as far as like selling it to brands and selling the idea to brands, because with a lot of these things, it's like you come with like a little pitch and you're like, this is what I think. This is what, this is what I think sounds cool. But like, sometimes it's hard to convey those things and be like, this is why I need your funding. This is why I need your support. This is how, like, this is how your brand's going to be shown. Like, do you have advice on how to do that? Do you think you guys executed that well? Yeah, I think, uh, I think we executed it. Okay. You know, but it's a pretty low budget (laughs) film. This more recent project, mm-hmm. uh, what if that we're working on? I think I learned a lot from that process, um, and like in between the two of those, I guess, like the second time around, I did, a, I did a lot better job of that. And what I think the biggest and the most important part of pitching it to brands is explain the value of the project beyond it just being a dope film, you know? Because yeah. you can't just tell a brand like this is going to be a groundbreaking film. That's kind of what we did with Black Country Journal. I was like. This is going to be a groundbreaking <laughs> film. Like this is going to like completely change the game and it's going to explode. And at the end of the day, you can't promise that's going to happen. Right. Like you don't right. know, man. Like even if you make what you think is the coolest film in the world, other people might see it and be like, this is trash, man. <laughs> and so yeah. I think like having something, a value proposition within the film beyond it, just blowing up. So whether that's like, Hey, this brand, you're going to get like X amount of images out of this that you can promote through your social media or like, um, like that's a big one, just a deliverable that they can actually hold on to and own and use for other purposes beyond what the film is, you know? So that's kind of what we've now started to do in promoting these projects is giving, make, making a bigger deliverable than just the, just the film itself. But like, whether it's photo assets or it's like big events that they can be involved in, you know? Um, that's all yeah. important. Yeah. I think people want to see, I was just having this conversation with a friend that we work with actually as a partner. And he was like, one of the worst things that people do to us is they just send an email and they're like, Hey, I want to do this and you should give me money for it. And he's like, dude, like I might want to work with you, but that email is too easy to send. And so many people send it and other people send like, here are deliverables that I'm going to get you, right? And those deliverables might not line up with what the brand wants or they might need adjustment, but at least you get a conversation because it's clear that you put in the effort and it's not what can you do for me? It's what we can do for you, yeah. you know? Like it's a very different conversation when you're like, here's here's what you're gonna get out of this as the brand. Yes, do I want you to support me because you like me, you like my vision, you like the idea? A hundred percent. But that's not enough for my, that's enough for somebody to throw you a free pair. Of yep, skis. exactly. You know, like it's not enough for somebody to put real budget and like in essence their neck on the line as a marketing person for you to just be like, okay, here's what I think I'm gonna do. Like there needs to be 
there needs to be some solid deliverables. And I think that that's a thing that I didn't even like when we first started doing this, I had no fucking idea. Like I, I didn't come from media. I was like, I have no idea what a pitch deck is. No idea how to do a proposal. I was just, I was the guy sending emails that was just like, please like, me. yeah, please be my friend and give me money and like, let me keep doing this as a I'm going to use 30 like, exclamation points like, in this email and you're going to be hyped. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm so stoked, bro. Appreciate you. Hope you're well. Like that kind of shit. I'm like, I, I was like hammering that through so hard and now I'm looking at it and I'm like cringing looking at all the emails, but it's just, it's what people do when they're, when they're learning how to like pitch themselves or pitch a brand because it already feels awkward pitching yourself. 100%. Like unless you're a complete narcissist, like it, it feels awkward being like this thing that I'm doing is cool. I think I'm cool. Please support us. Like it's already, you're already kind of like groveling for, for money. There's then another component to it where you're like, okay, I really got to like dialing it in is a whole nother step. Yeah. And like on top of that, also like by making there be more deliverables, you take a little bit of pressure off yourself to like create something that's going to be the value a hundred percent. Like if you can add more things on there that are easy to do in the process of whatever you're trying to do, then you're taking process. You're taking a little bit of pressure off of whether it's making a podcast or it's, or it's making yeah. a film or it's like going on a trip to wherever for like a big ski expedition trip you know you can take a little bit of pressure off the actual trip and put it on the deliverables that you know you can get done then everyone's happy brand stoked and the brand only has a certain amount of money that they're gonna be able to put towards all these projects yeah. so for me especially some dude on i like instagram who only has like three thousand followers I'm, I'm like i can't just be like yo i'm making a film and everyone's gonna watch it because i have like 1.5 million <laughs> followers you know it's like I gotta. Yeah. I'm gonna make a film, and people are gonna watch it. But we're also gonna do some dope events. We're gonna get you some deliverables, and you know, yeah. we're gonna get some people fired up. So it's all it's all worth it for you. Yeah. I think that set list of things that like we are 100% gonna deliver these things to you. That helps me a lot. Like that helps me be like, okay, I checked these boxes. Like I need to do these things. It helps directionally because I'm like. Sometimes, especially early on, like we would sign a deal with a brand and I'd be like, okay, now I'm just going to try to do stuff. Like I'm just going to throw shit at the wall. But like, then you can't go back to the brand and be like, we did this, 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 and this, or like we agreed on this. We hit all those and we yep. did this. Like, it's just too hard to go. It's like just, <clears throat> it's like just driving in a direction and hoping you find your destination. You know what I mean? Like you kind of need some outline there. Yeah, it helps you like lay out your vision a little bit more clearly for the for the brand and gives you something to actually do in your pursuit yeah, of for sure. pursuit of making that film or whatever yeah, it is you're trying to sure. do. What this is one of the last things I have for you. Where like when is the film coming out? When can people actually see it? Like unless you're me or a select few other people that have seen it in person or you have the secret code to get into the video. <laughs> like people haven't seen it yet. So like when are people actually going to be able to see it? Yeah. So we're still kind of in the, the um, film festival tour. We are, you know, we did the five points one back in April. Um, we just did this mountains of color BIPOC specific film festival in Jackson, which was super cool put on by junior Rodriguez and uh, Sophia uh, Haramio. Um, I might be butchering her last name a little bit, but. <laughs> they're both rad and they're both filmmakers um sophia's like nacho photographer junior's like a rad yeah. fisherman you know are you familiar with these guys with them 
Wood Sophia, okay. yeah. I, I don't know how to say her last yeah. name either, though, so I'm not going to try. Yeah, so, yeah, that's a smart move. Um, but, and then, yeah, like, we got a couple other ones, you know, potentially getting into this one down in Dallas, and we're definitely going to apply to a few more. So the plan is basically to do the film festival circuit until the fall, and then we'll drop the film um, online in the fall. So going to be but, announcing, like, what festivals it's at, obviously. So that's a great way to see it, obviously. Yeah. Like, that's always the better way. If you can see it on a big screen see it in and with the real live music, you know, it's a film about music. So we worked with like a, a sound designer, um, my buddy, Zach King, who um, literally makes beats for, he lives in LA and he makes beats for that get seen by all types of like really well-known artists. And so he did our sound, which was really cool because it's coming from like that very sound specific background. So if you can see it on like big speakers, big video or big screen, um, that's most ideal, but we're probably going to drop it at like October, uh, end of October, maybe like maybe December ish at the latest. Yeah. It all kind of okay. depends. That's was there. Why drop it like at film festivals and stuff in the spring and summer? Yeah, that's a great question. That's what we did. That's what we did. <laughs> <laughs> the reason. Okay. So the, the real reason I would say is because, like I said, this is our first project, so it's all been kind of like a learning process. But uh, a big part of it was because of Five Points. And so that was the first one we applied to. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, we 100% want to show this film. And so that's when it all started. And we, we wrapped it we wrapped it. it like the day before we screened it at Five Points. Like we finally like got the final edit going and all that stuff. And Sick. so um, that was why we kind of uh, released it early was because – we got into five points, which we weren't sure we were going to get into. And um, now we're kind of just like keeping it under wraps for a little bit and trying to build the stoke, but but not build too much stoke at the same time where people are like, forget about it in like four months. So it's kind of an interesting yeah. and uh, kind of a delicate <clears throat> process of keeping like it forefront of people's mind, um, but not like wearing it out at the same time, if you know what I mean. For sure. Yeah, 100%. That's kind of why I asked them, like, if okay, like, this is going to be, like, a long promotional cycle yeah. for this thing where, like, you really need it to hit in the fall. Like, you need people to care now, obviously, but it really needs to hit hard in the fall, and I think it will. It's, uh, I'm just thinking about, like, film festivals in New England, and I'm like, I don't even think I, the only ski movie, like, ski movie premieres you go to are, like, TGR or level one or Warren Miller, right? Like stuff like that, yeah. like more collaborative showings of films don't really exist that I'm aware of. And we should do something. Let's, let's work on, let's workshop this. Dude, idea, let's talk I about think. it. Like there, there could be a, let's talk about like a collaborative effort to do. Maybe we'll mix in a couple other films and we'll do something in the fall. I like, yeah. Well, like much like the film itself, kind of experimenting with some weird funky stuff for some of the screenings. So, um, like I have a screening lined up on the East Coast in um, at OGE, actually. Okay. And cool. um, it's going to be like September fourteenth. And so I took um, I studied music in college and, and and business. And one of my professors, Ray Vega, is a um, a musician. So I want to try and line up through him. He's a jazz musician. I want to try and line up a jazz band to come Sick. through and like play the show as well as screen the film. We'll see what nice. actually happens. You know, it's still kind of like a conversation, but um. We are going to have a screening at OGE uh, in September. Yeah. Okay. Sick. All right. Well, let's uh, let's think about this. There's there's plenty of opportunity, plenty of spaces. There's a thing we can do to definitely like 
co-promote something like i think that that would be hell yeah man let's do it i'm down cool easy um for now where can people find you on social where can people eventually find your stuff or the film like if people want to reach out to you what where what does that look like where do people go so yeah my uh, instagram is at galactic brown that's how you spell it you know you guys can spell galactic brown um (laughs) yeah that's where like pretty much everything that i do is um so you can kind of follow me there i'm pretty active on on the stories and on the socials um thinking about getting a twitter account i don't know man should i get that like i feel like you're always talking about how twitter is like really cool like <laughs> Dude, twitter's all right twitter's not cool let me like be very clear twitter's not cool it's just where like conversations are had beef is had i like it because it's dramatic and you can honestly just say what you're feeling and like gauge it a little better i think on twitter and it's a lot more conversational because it's all like it's mostly public versus like i'll post a story and we'll get a shit ton of dms and like that's cool but some of the conversation that's happening in those dms are like would be really cool to be out in the open so that people could engage yeah. with it that's kind of what i like versus like twitter like i get like fucking 20 dms a year on twitter you know what i mean like it's not the function is not as good and it's not the same so people just tweet i don't know it's it's fun i enjoy uh-huh. it it's like the one medium that I actually enjoy. Like our Instagram is like a fucking nightmare for me to deal with. I fucking Dude, hate it's it. hilarious. I love the stuff you guys are putting out there, man. It's it's funny. It's fun it's funny, but like it dude, it's a lot of work. I'm like answer I try to answer all the fucking DMs like as much as I can and like it's I'm not complaining, but it's like I don't want to be on my phone as much as I have to be on yeah, my totally. phone. Yeah, totally to like make Instagram's algorithm happy, you know, like you just have to fucking keep feeding into that machine all day, every day. And I'm like, I'm tired yeah. of, do- of doing Dude, it. That's, I think my eventual goal in like life as a, as like a outdoor industry person, like whether it's an ambassador or a sales rep is to just like, especially as an ambassador, I would say is to put out like things that are not Instagram, but still like provide yeah. value. Like, I think it would be so sick to do like a book or something like a coffee table book or something that like brings value, but like, isn't me just like poking you through your screen. Like, Hey, check out this cool ski video, man. You know? And how do you sell it though? You sell it on fucking. Oh, yeah, that's true. Like, that's the thing is like, you still need it no yeah, matter right. what. It's like, it's fucking horrible. One day, like soon, I feel like I'm going to quit doing it entirely and I'll just have somebody else do it. Cause I can't, I can't deal with this shit forever. But yeah, I agree. I think there's I, there's a large part of me that wants to like I'm not nearly cool enough, and nothing we do is cool enough. But like, do the Sean Pettit approach, yeah, dude. post like once every fucking three exactly. months, and be like, it just fucking destroy. I think that's that's where I would like to live. So if we could ever get to that point, that's that's what I care. You got to work on your. We got to both work on our like edginess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just wear like dumb sunglasses before they're cool, and like get on the bit like early, early on, or like just start a different sport and become a professional. I don't think I have, like, there's no shot at, at that part. <laughs> the switch up, through. dude. I, I do want to do more snowboarding, yeah. honestly. Here in Ben, like, everybody snowboards. It's, like, such a big part of the culture. And um, also, like, I grew up skiing in California, so obviously, like, there's a big, like, surf skate culture out there, too. But, yeah, yeah the, I'm trying to, you know, I tra- Sean Pettit, I'm coming for you, man. <laughs> <laughs> i can't wait i can't wait for this collab this is be uh this will be a fun but yeah one. you can find me are you uh oh sorry go ahead 
Are you riding bikes down there a lot, or are you not into riding bikes? Dude, I do a lot of whitewater kayaking. That's kind of like the big thing that um, I do during okay. the summertime. And so that has – I did have a full suspension mountain bike at one, type and I, or at one time, and I was riding like the trails around here, Hidden Post Canyon. But it was always like yeah. I was more inspired to go get in my kayak and do um, – we have a really good like backyard run right here. I was always more inspired to do that than I was to go ride my bike, so – I've kind of been like an outcast in the town of Ben because I'm not a biker, but I'm holding it down for the whitewater community. So it's all good. Uh, I love that. <laughs> awesome. You were going on about where people can. Find yeah. You. And then, um, my, uh, uh, production slash sales agency is called Uhuru mountain collective. So Mallory at Uhuru You can find me there. That's spelled a U H U R U. That one's a little harder to spell. Um, and yeah, I mean, slide hit me up on Instagram whenever. I mean, I'm always if you're ever in town and stuff like that. I usually am pretty responsive and whatnot um, when I am in town. But oftentimes I do pay rent in Ben, but I'll you'll find me in like Montana or Idaho or fucking Washington yeah. or Alaska or one of those places. So <laughs> or like honestly, California a lot awesome. too. Been going down there more and seeing the fam. So yeah, I love that. Sick. Thanks for the time, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. I, sh- I got to give a shout out to like all the brands I work with as a rep and as a as sure. an athlete too. Forefront, Fulcrum Poles, Strafe Outerwear, um, and Ripton and Co. Man, those are the brands that have like supported me for so long, and both as an athlete and as a rep. And like that's so meaningful. I'm super appreciative of it. So had to give that shout out to those guys and the crews working behind them. Yeah. Go buy some shorts. Those shorts, you, you fuck, got some. Dude. They're so good, <laughs> dude. I have like I, every color and every pa- dude. They're they're the fucking. Dude, best. I saw you at uh, or I was I didn't see you, but I saw you were at Sea Otter last last year. Do you get to meet the? You got mm-hmm. to meet the crew there. Yep, I met him in the. Yeah, X actually had him had Elliot on his show, and like, then I was like, okay, I'll buy some shorts, and I was like, eh, it'll be fine. But dude, they're the best. I fucking live in those things. And everybody's like, why are you riding in jorts? Isn't it sweaty? And I'm like, this is not. These are not normal jorts. They shouldn't even be called jorts. These are these are Riptons. It's, it's like its own specific category. And like, here I am doing a sales pitch for Ripton. And like, don't even work with Ripton. But <laughs> dude, that's the, the shit thing. is so fucking. That's the good. thing is like, it's honestly one of the most sellable products I work with because people who like it love it so much. And like, yeah. I don't even need to like say anything. I'll just, I'll bring it up and someone else will just start doing the pitch for me because I don't, they just do a really, Elliot just does an incredible job with that brand and everyone behind it is just making it really cool. I mean, I, I truly believe they're responsible for the surge in excitement around like <laughs> denim and biking, which is just <laughs> such a weird combination, but it's so sick at the same time. I agree. Do there, I like very rarely ride in anything else. Like it's, it's a very... I feel weird about it sometimes. I'm like, do people think I'm just wearing the same jorts every single ride? Like, I, I, I promise, I bought more than one pair because there's no shot that I'm washing those things. No, off. definitely not. You got multiple pairs. I love to hear that. And I, I think that yeah, they're gonna I'm, really, I'm yeah, we'll continue it. to blow up and do really well. And also hyped, yeah, man. You know about Forefront. I mean, they're out there. That crew in Burlington's killing it too. Yeah, they're so good. The skis are so good now. I think from ten years ago, where Forefront was like this little like it felt like a garage brand that nobody really cared about all that much. And now like to see where the team has kind of taken it is, is really cool. And I mean, dude, you work with good brands, like they're smaller brands, but like Fulcrum's doing really yeah. well right now. People really care about that long For grip. Sure. Like strafe shit is, is some of the most underrated technical apparel that 100%. exists. Like the shit is so nice. It fits me so well. Like I like that shit. And like, 
I don't know. You got like Vic is the shit. Like that whole team is fucking awesome there, and I think that the the product is great. And at the end of the day, man, like the coolest thing about doing what I what I do is getting to work with these like smaller teams. Like I used to work with bigger brands, like European based brands, and now like getting to work with like the forefronts and the strafes and the fulcrums of the world. Um, they're small teams, so like you get to have input on what they're making and like how they're marketing it, and the people behind it are like it's not some dude like sitting behind a big corporate desk in like New York. Like it's the dude who's like at the event marketing it directly to the people. It's the dude or the, the gal or the guy or gal who's like at the event, um, or who's like actually skiing in the back country, you know? So that's super cool too. Is like just being a, like more connected with the brand itself. So I really appreciate that. Yeah. It's very rare that like the person that like Vic is a professional athlete in his own right. Like Sammy fucking rips Nick. Like you have, you're talking about a group of people that like actually do these activities and really give a shit about them. So I think like that's a good core group of brands to be working with. Yep. Absolutely. Sick. Awesome. Thanks again, dude. This has been great. Hell yeah. Appreciate it, Adam.